This episode of Actors with Issues is brought to you by Audible. For a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook, visit audibletrial.com actors. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Actors with Issues. I am your host, Juan Ayala. Today's guest is actor and filmmaker Kazi Toginas, who has worked on hit films like John Wick, Equalizer 2, and most recently, the Golden Globe-nominated film Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Kazi talks with us about his experiences on all of those projects, as well as his former careers as a restaurateur and a Golden Gloves boxer, and about his award-winning short film, Standing Eight, which he wrote, produced, and starred in as Dusty Abrams, a boxer who is forced to retire when they are diagnosed with lupus. Now, please enjoy this conversation with Kazi Toginas. Kazi, thank you so much for joining me today, man. How are you? I'm I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Happy to have you. So let's uh let's dive right in. You have um, a somewhat less traditional start to acting. A lot of folks sort of were bitten by the bug at a very young age, uh, myself included, and slowly uh, sort of dove into the deep end in terms of acting when it comes to doing theater. They majored it in college. Um, but you had a bit of a different um, approach. You sort of gravitated more toward film. Uh, and you got your start sort of with writing while you were in college. Um, so what made you decide to pursue uh, acting as a career? Well, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's a complex tale of crazy twists and turns of, of where life takes you. I was actually a health and exercise science major, but I always really, really had a, um, an interest in film, not necessarily making them, but watching them like, uh, film just had a huge presence in my life because I was like an only child and I had to keep myself entertained somehow. So I, I became a movie buff pretty early on. And as I got older, you know, I kind of thought it would be interesting to, uh, to get into film. Uh, but I had no idea how being from the Midwest, I grew up in, you know, in, in the Chicago area and, uh, ended up going to the university of Delaware and, uh, my sport of choice was figure skating, you know, but I realized when I was younger that uh, the, the thing about skating that I really liked the most was performing. Uh, and that was kind of always there. And that was like, you know, the sport I did. And I, when I was in my early twenties, I called it quits, got kind of sick of the politics of skating. And then I switched over to, to boxing hmm. um, all the while still into film and, after I graduated from the University of Delaware with my health and exercise science degree, uh, you know, I, I the, it's funny, I look back and the class, the two classes that I enjoyed most that I took in college were electives. And one of them was a script, a script writing course. Yeah. And the other was a theater course. And those were my classes that I could probably remember the most from. Uh, I couldn't regurgitate anything from anatomy or physiology or biomechanics, but I could definitely tell you the scene that I did in my theater class. So yeah. I ended up getting into the restaurant business again through a series of insane events. And I ended up owning a 24 hour diner for about four and a half years. Um, all the while, again, all, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go to the gym, I'd do my boxing thing. And I worked constantly all the time having a 24 hour business. And I was like, in my early 20s, it was just a lot to, to, to handle and boxing was kind of my outlet. But I still would stay on my movie game, you know, I would do movie nights at the diner, you know, at, like, if I do the overnight shift, you know, 1am, 2am would hit and the diner would kind of clear out and I would put on a movie and 
you know, no one would be coming in for a couple hours. And this was like my routine. Uh, and I just had a couple of filmmakers that asked to use my diner uh, to shoot uh, uh, an entry for the Heinz ketchup commercial contest. Mm. And they ended up having an actor uh, who didn't show up. Right. You've heard that before, especially right. on indie stuff. Right. So you have an actor decides not to show up for whatever reason. And I was there kind of overseeing it. I, you know, I let them shoot, of course, because I love film, et cetera. And they turned to me and they, hey, would you like to take over and play this one guy's role since he's not showing up? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, what do you want me to do? Um, and after we wrapped, you know, one of the directors came over to me and he was like, you know what? You're really good. You should be an actor. And I laughed. I was like, I should be an actor. Like, what? Yeah, right. I own a diner. What am I? Right. An actor? What are you talking about? Uh, but for some reason, that's, that statement just stayed in my head. I couldn't let it go. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could, there were some issues that I had with my landlord at the time. Uh, I, I was renting the property. Um, and I could kind of sense that he was going to attempt to screw me on the next uh, lease. I, I had a, a lease that was coming to an end. And I could sense that he, he was not going to look out for my best interests. And it started to kind of get me to start thinking about a different career path. Yeah. And uh, I went to an open house at the New York Film Academy. And I went there with, with thinking about film in mind, thinking about taking on, you know, becoming a filmmaker, because again, that was my interest. I didn't really take the acting thing seriously uh, until I was at that open house. And we broke the filmmaking, like was the first, uh, you know, kind of conference that they gave. And then they broke into separate groups. So the friend of mine went to the producing. I went to the acting conference to hear what they had to say in their acting open house. And um, they start. And within, within like the first two minutes, Matthew Modine walked into the open house mm. and he thought we were a class and started talking about like acting theory and, and technique and all this stuff. And then turned like after he'd been talking for like 15 minutes and I'm shell shocked. I'm looking at private Joker sitting in the, in, in, <laughs> so just like, you know, I'm, I'm talking, you're talking about a kid who'd never seen a celebrity in his life. All of a sudden is looking at, you know, someone who starred in a, in, in, in a, a Stanley Kubrick film. Yeah. And he goes, what class is this? And the head of the acting program said, Oh, this isn't a class. This is an open house. And he just stopped and looked at everyone and said, Oh, he was like, wow. He's like, you're really brave it's really brave of you to come here. And he's like, yeah. because there's so many people that all that have thought about doing this as a career and have thought about make taking this path, but they've never done it. They never even had, you know, the guts to step into this room. So I applaud you. And then he said one other thing that stuck with me my entire life. He said, you know, maybe you're not destined to be an actor. He was like, but if you do this training and you do a conservatory program, he was like, he was, he said, it will literally make you better at anything that you will end up doing. Huh. And I was sold after that. I was like, I gotta, I gotta go to the school. I need to be at the New York film Academy. I need to take their acting for conservatory program. I was like, this is the career path that I'm going to take. And sure enough, um, you know, the whole deal with the diner completely fell apart. I had to close the doors uh, in November of 2008 and January 2009, I went back to school for, for acting at the New York Film Academy. Wow. That is yeah. such, a it's such a complex story of, um, of, you know, of what led you there. And um, what, you know, what Matthew Modine told you, told you guys too is really, you know, that's, that's one of those 
not to say sort of cliche, if it wasn't a movie, it'd be a cliche, but in real life, obviously it's, it's not. But to hear someone of, of his caliber say that um, to a group of young actors and sort of reassure them, like, you know, hey, I know everyone says that this career is really tough, but, um, you know, yeah, that's that's really really cool, man. Um, yeah, it's a crazy story. Yeah. Crazy. What, what I, that, was, that, that was that that was a nutshell. I didn't even. Get, <laughs> that was it. That was like the quick version, and it's still too long. Um, so, because you've had so many sort of different um, career paths cross your whole life path, um, ever since you were young, did it ever seem once you sort of started to pursue acting um, full time and and professionally, did it ever seem out of reach were there ever any moments where you felt like giving up or like you know like calling it quits because for whatever reason in your mind it wasn't going to work um i probably had two peak levels of frustration and uh i think this is where having a certain amount of faith uh you know in in and uh you know, God or a power outside of yourself, I think is really important and, and, and trusting in the fact that your instincts have led you to this place that you are in now. And for whatever reason, the thing that you're going through at this moment is what you are meant to be going through. And I think that it, it takes a certain amount of faith in order for that to happen. Um, I had two moments yeah. and both, it was like, you know, it's darkest before the dawn, you know, like a minute before midnight type of situation. Yeah. Uh, I auditioned for, and it's always up and down. It's always like a roller coaster. I'll tell you, it's crazy. So when I auditioned for John Wick, um, I had taken, I, I had spent about a year and a half taking courses, uh, you know, uh, meet and greets and whatnot, uh, mostly at the actor's green room. Uh, when I was just really focusing on meeting casting people, because at that time I had done a bunch of indie projects, but I had yet been able to get into a mainstream project. I had a a thick resume of projects that people had never heard of. Uh, I had produced a a couple of those, which I was really proud of. So I knew how a film set worked and whatnot. And I had a pretty good working knowledge of, of production and whatnot, but I had still not been able to get my face into anything that was what would what people would consider as a mainstream project. So I ended up uh, being fortunate enough, again, through a series of crazy chain of events. Uh, I wasn't even supposed to be in the class and I ended up getting in the class and I was able to meet Kate Geller from Christie Street Casting. Uh, Did a scene for her at the end of the class, like while I was right when I finished my scene work, she said, you'd be perfect for this Keanu Reeves movie that I'm casting. And I was like, oh, that, that, that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, and sure enough, she, you know, she got my information and I heard from her the next day and she had me come in and audition for one of the lead bad guy roles. Yeah. Um, and I went in and I auditioned for her and it went well, a half an hour after my initial audition, I end up getting a director's session. They want me back in like another day to come back and meet the director. Um, and I went back and it was funny. I did the scene. It's an intense scene where I get killed or whatever. And I do the scene and feeling good about it. And then they, they say the director, uh, it was actually co-directed by David Leach and and Chad Stalhowski, even though David Leach isn't credited on the film, they co-directed. Yeah. Uh, David was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, David was in the session. Uh, So David goes, that was great, man. Thank you. And then he's like, well, tell us something about yourself. 
And I was like, tell us something about it. Never had been asked that in an Worst audition question ever. ever. Never, never been asked that. Right. Yeah. And it never even really dawned on me to have a prepared answer. And I looked around the room for a second and I said, so I was like, so I used to own a 24 hour diner. And I was like, and I, I went and I told them the story mm-hmm. real quick, like a real nutshell version. And I was like, I lost, I lost my business. I was like, I lost all my money in, the, in, 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 in that place. And they're all just looking at me, casting, you know, like, like <laughs> Kate's looking at me nuts, like David, no one knows how to react to this story yeah. about me losing the diner. And then I go, but I was like, the truth is, if I hadn't gone through all of that, I wouldn't be here in this room with you right now. Wow. And they were like, oh, ooh. So I thought I, I really thought I booked it. I walked, I literally, I, I auditioned down in like Christie Street, which was like, you know, near Chinatown. I literally just walked back to my apartment on the upper west side that day i was like in a in a haze because i literally yeah. felt like i booked it um and then i didn't hear anything i didn't have an agent or a manager at that time right i literally just got into this audition room from taking a class yeah and i didn't hear anything i ended up getting a call to come and audition for their stunt team so i went to the stunt team audition and then again i didn't hear anything and i probably had my first audition i think it was early august I basically gave up on the role. And in my head, I was thinking, how did I misjudge that room so much? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that most of the time when you really know you booked something, not when you're hopeful, not when you want something, but you really know when you booked something, you can tell the difference in the room. Like you oh. can just tell, you just yeah. know. Your instinct is like, you got this. So I really felt that way. And it really threw me off because I like, were my instincts that wrong? Was I that, like, what happened? I couldn't figure it out. Um, and then uh, first week of December, See, first audition was August 3rd. First week of December, I get a call and they offer me a role in the film, but a smaller one. It was just like a couple of days on set. Yeah. Uh, they were like, so we, we were just wondering if you're interested. Yeah, of course I'm interested. <laughs> but, but, you know, in that time frame between, you know, that stunt audition, which was probably like a couple of weeks after that initial, just somewhere yeah. mid-August, Still in like my head, later. I was like, yeah, months and months later, months went by. And I, there were things that happened behind the scenes. I actually would have probably ended up getting called earlier, but they ended up having an actor get hurt. They ended up having to shut down production for a while. All these things happened that I didn't know about because, again, I didn't have an agent or manager to be checking in, and I didn't have the balls to email Kate and say, hey, could you uh, tell me what, what's going on? You know, because, yeah. like, I just was like, I'm going to leave her alone because I don't know what the protocol is, right? Yeah. So for months, I'm just living in this, in this zone where I totally thought I misread the room. And I'm like, you know, what the hell am I even doing? If I can't even read a room like that, I was like, am I, am I even in the wrong, am I in the wrong business? But again, darkest before the dawn, I get the call in December. So that in itself was kind of, that itself was a crazy experience. You don't, you, you don't really know what happens on the other, in the other rooms and whatever. I still, it still took me another almost a year before I was able to get representation. Uh, Kate kept calling me back to her office uh, and had me auditioning for Blacklist. I ended up booking two episodes of Blacklist um, where they ended up bringing me in through stunt team, but I ended up getting screen time and all this stuff. So I ended up booking two episodes uh, on Blacklist and I still could not get representation i even met with an agent a couple of days after i rapped on john wick and they didn't sign me and i just kind of was like i 
you know, I kind of thought I was like, isn't the whole catch 22 that you have to book a big job to get an agent and, you know, agents don't want you unless you book the big job. And here I am having booked two mainstream things on my own without representation. And yet I still couldn't find representation. Like yeah. what the hell was going on? And, and then I finally just like off of, uh, a recommendation took uh did a meet and greet with talent meet rep which they're not around anymore um with my my current manager and we just clicked and she offered me a contract the next day and that was like in october of of like the following year so it's funny you just go through all this stuff and you never know when the dividends are going to come and probably the biggest one for me at all was actually Equalizer 2 because I actually auditioned for two roles for Equalizer 2. I remember when I got the first audition for Equalizer, um, I was really excited about it because I was like, man, I'm, I'll do anything in a Denzel movie. I was like, right. you know, I don't, whatever, whatever. And, I'm, and it was like a role, like, cause it wasn't a huge role, but you know, I, I, I laid down the audition quickly and I was just so excited to have been on just being able to get seen by that room, right? Like you're like, they're casting a Denzel movie and, and they're seeing me, I can't believe this. Uh, and I didn't get that role. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't even bothered by it. I just felt like that was progress in itself. Sometimes just the audition, being able to get the audition is progress, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, that's, that's, and so many people don't even get yeah. auditions because it's such a, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I wouldn't even say it's half the battle. It's it's much more than that because so many actors are submitted for one role. Um, you know, for a, a two line one scene co star, it's anywhere from two thousand to like seven thousand submissions, and from there, casting has to go through all of those headshots and choose between twenty five to fifty people to come into audition, if that many. Yeah, uh, and then make the decisions from there. So it's like if you manage to get an audition, it's like, that's a victory within itself. That means you beat out thousands of other people already, whether you book it or not, you're on the right track. And I know so many people that underestimate the value of of getting an audition. It's not like theater where it's kind of like an open call. You just show up and hope you get seen. It's, it's a whole other battle and a whole other sort of, you got through the first layer of the cake. So it's like a big, it's, 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 I I think actors need to remember that when they audition, don't stop around and be like, well, this I'm bigger than this role. Like you're just like, be happy that you're getting seen to be honest. Like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like once you get to a certain place, you don't want to get seen for smaller stuff, but then again, you never know when smaller stuff will turn into bigger stuff. Sometimes you go in for a one-liner and you walk out with like, you know, and you end up being on set for way longer than you anticipated. And, you know, it's just, you never know where these things can take you and you just always have to bring your A game. And, and I ended up from me laying that, that, that first audition for Equalizer 2 down, they saw me for a much bigger role, like a few weeks later. And it was a a really crazy time. I I was coming off of a booking with, for Sneaky Pete, which I was really excited about. And then, um, you know, my Mrs. best friend's father passed away that for that same week that I booked wow. the Sneaky Pete episode. Uh, so I got off, I got off set and then I was slated to go back to Chicago that, that weekend I, I wrapped and I was home on Thursday. Uh, and then I had to work on Friday and then I was flying out on Saturday because I still had a day job this whole time, this entire time, like that I've been acting up until like until 2018, I had to hold the day job to sustain myself. Yeah. So, you know, day jobs are important. Anyway, back on track. I, um, so that I, I, I got back from Sneaky Pete that Thursday night. I shot, 
I, I, I shot, you know, that day, took the late ride back to the city. Then I had to work the next day. Um, and that was Friday. And it was, it was tough because like that whole time I felt like I was like, damn, I should, I, I really need to be in Chicago with my best friend. I was like, I can't even, it was tough, you know, like I, yeah. and uh, so I get off work and I get dinner with my roommate. And while I'm at dinner, probably around eight o'clock at night, an audition for Equalizer 2 comes in. Mm. And this time the role is big, but it's due on Monday. And I'm flying out Saturday morning to go to the services. So I had to do, it was either do the audition, try to somehow figure out a way to do the audition in Chicago, but that was, that didn't even make any sense or lay it down that same night, that Friday night and send it out that same day. Uh, and that's what I ended up doing. I had one of my, one of my good friends, Nadia come over. She helped me lay down the tape. Uh, I sent it out a few hours later, cheated the whole time because I couldn't get all the lines down. So I just like taped the sides yeah. all in random places to keep my eyeline looking all right and sent the tape out and then went back to Chicago the next day. I kind of let it go. Cause I figured there was no way I was going to get it. I was like, it's a big role. There's no way I'm, I'm not getting this. Hmm. And, um, that week I got back to, I got back from Chicago that Sunday night. Uh, cause I had to work. I'd already taken days off for the sneaky Pete episode that I had booked. So I had to go back to work on Monday and I was miserable that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Thursday, uh, I, I felt like I, like that whole time, I just felt like I was in the wrong place. I needed to be in Chicago with my friend. I needed to be there for him. And it was just really, uh, it was grating on me um, to the point where I was at peak level of frustration at the job. Like I felt like I was going to start punching customers in the face, you know, waiting tables at Cipriani thinking about punching people. Right. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Food service. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I remember that Thursday I looked up at the ceiling at my job on one o'clock in the afternoon. And I literally screamed like, God, please get me the F out of this job. Like, mm. please. Uh, and at three 30, my manager called me and told me that I booked equalizer too. Dude, that's, I'm so big on, uh, visualization and, um, like projecting things and putting it out into, you know, I do believe in God. I am a Christian, um, but you know, what one, regardless of who one believes in just speaking things out into the universe and, and just declaring it, like whether you want something or you're going to get something, if you're, if you're that confident, you're going to say, I'm going to get this job or I'm going to get this audition. And, and you will be so surprised how, not you specifically, but you know, other people will be surprised at, um, at what the universe throws back at you. Um, yeah, I think people have forgotten the, the, the power of, of what you put out. I think people, people cannot expect a positive result out of negative actions. Absolutely. And, I, I, they, and, and the idea that somehow you can expect a positive result from negativity uh, yeah is to me is, is just, it's, it's asinine because there's really, you can't expect positive results from negative thinking, negative actions. It just never will happen. It will backfire because you are not putting out the right energy. Like if you want yeah. good things to happen, you have to, you have to facilitate good things. You have to, you have to facilitate good, positive thinking. And I know that it can be hard, but that's, that, that stuff is fundamental. And I firmly believe in it because I've witnessed it in my own life and I've seen it in other people's lives as well. So I think really keeping, yeah, of course, staying goal oriented and whatever, but you still have to have that level of faith 
Mm-hmm. You still have to, you need that because look at, look at our industry. Our industry is like, you know, shot in the dark. You know, you, you see people on television and you're like, wait, how did that guy get on? And, and a lot of times <laughs> it's because you're, you're literally watching something where they're related to whoever, you know, is running the show or whatever. There's a lot of familial reactions. We are yeah. like, like there's so much, there's so much nepotism and whatnot in the industry that you, you as an outsider, have to work 10 times as hard, if not harder and smarter. And you have to really stay the course because the competition, you're not even up against people that are as talented as you. It's, it's just not, it's not the fact it's who they know, who yeah. they're related to. Absolutely. So you, you just keep all that stuff into perspective and know that a lot of it is out of your control, but what can you control? The number one thing you can do is control your attitude and your outlook. Mm-hmm. And that will in itself keeping the right attitude and the right mindset will keep you sane in this insane world that we that we're existing in if you're like me and you listen to a lot of podcasts you'd probably love listening to audiobooks and the best place for that is audible the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment Titles range from popular literature, fiction, and biographies to health, wellness, and everything in between. For a free 30-day trial, visit audibletrial.com actors for a free audiobook. Once you become a member, you get one credit for an audiobook each month, as well as two free exclusive Audible originals. I highly recommend that all of my actors and artists listening check out the audiobook for The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide, written and narrated by Jenna Fisher, best known for playing Pam on The Office. Jenna gives an in-depth look on her career from fresh-faced Hollywood newcomer to struggling actor to the star of a hit network television show. She also has a ton of survival advice and guidance for actors tackling this crazy industry. You can check out Jenna's book and tons more by signing up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com actors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You mentioned um, setting achievable goals. Um, for for me, that's always been, you know, I, I'm not very big on on resolutions at the beginning of the year, but rather realistic goals. And um, yeah, you know, for 20, 2018, my goal was to um, was to book a co-star, a network TV co-star, and then Blind Spot happened. Yeah. In 2019, my goal was to book another co-star to get my first rep and to move to New York City. The one that I have control over was moving to New York. So that yeah. was the first one that I set out to do. And then I got called to come back to Blind Spot. So I went from the co-star to recurring. Yeah. And um, that was with a nudge from my pseudo rep, my mentor, Ed, who you know. Um, you know, a lot of times agents or managers can reach out to casting or to someone on production and be like, hey, is there any chance that, um, you know, we can bring so-and-so back if they fit into the story. If you need another lab tech or whatever, can you call them back instead of, you know, going through the whole audition process to get another one. Um, So, you know, so that happened. And then I moved to the city and then shortly after my blind spot episode aired and I'd updated my reel and my IMDb page and all that, 
um, an agent reaches out and says they liked my clip. They want to talk about representation. Um, and then for 2020, one of my only goals was to, um, to get a New York based rep because my agent was Southeast and mm. I wasn't able to get in the room for anything shooting in New York because, um, you know, they weren't established here yet. They, they right, have a right. great reputation in Nashville and Atlanta cause that's their market. Um, so I'm like, well, I'm in New York. I want to get a rep that's in New York that can vouch for me and that has clout here. And, um, same kind of deal. I uploaded my most recent blind spot episodes. And then back in May, I think it was, they came across my page, saw I didn't have a manager listed and, um, and yeah, I've been with entertainment lab for a couple months now, but it's always been these smaller achievable goals. It's not, I want to make $20,000 from acting this year. It's like, Whoa, slow down, buddy. Like, you know, it's a lot of money. That's, that's 20 co-stars in, in, in a time when the entertainment industry has been shut down. Yeah. for for months yeah. now that's not going to be anything yeah. achievable and, exactly yeah and the financial goals are always to me the most time the, the the time that an actor can stress themselves out the most um because things happen you don't right? have yeah you just don't have control over it you yeah. don't really have control over it that's that's where it's not about it's not about really booked like i get it people are like i'm gonna book this job okay how about you book the room you're getting an audition, win the room over. That's all you have. That's your job as the, as, as, as the actor going into an audition room is to yeah. win the room I and to show them that. something about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My last it, interview. Because, yeah. yeah. You don't have any control over any other thing other than your, the impression that you make. So make the best impression you possibly can be, be polite, you know, be thankful, be grateful to be there and, perform your ass off and have fun doing it. Because if you're having fun while you're auditioning, you put them at ease, they're having fun. And yeah, granted, you're always going to have some casting director who has crappy energy or they're having a bad day or whatever, but you just work right around it because yeah. you still do your job. And, you know, you never know. I've been in offices before where they clearly were not having a good day and I didn't really think it went well, but it wasn't because of me. It was like, they were giving me zero energy when they're reading or whatever. And the next thing you know, you're still getting put on hold. So it's just, it's not allowing anything to interfere with your mission. And that is to win the room and to perform and, and to just enjoy it. Because again, if you're not enjoying it, if you're putting all this stress on, on yourself and you're allowing yourself to get stressed out because you're putting this pressure, you're not enjoying it anymore. And people can sense that. And if you're putting financial restrictions on yourself, where you're like, I got to make this much, you're going to have a certain energy of desperation when you get into the room, yeah. which you absolutely cannot have unless for some reason the character is supposed to be desperate. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, man. Yeah. Just your, I was just talking with, with my last interview, um, about booking the room and, um, and it was because they, their co-star role in a pilot ended up being a 12 episode recurring role. And they just, we talked about how, you know, when you go into audition, you go in, you do your job and then you forget about it. Um, yeah. we actually both share the same little tradition of when you leave the building, you crumple up your sides and you throw it out. It's just this sort of, yeah. I do the same thing. Yeah. I do the it's exact same this thing. Cathartic I, don't, release. I don't hang on to sides. Yeah. Yep. Um, I hang yep. on to the, to the sides from a booking. Cause that's like your little souvenir, but, um, yep. but you know, for auditions, it's just like, okay, you did your job, throw it out and that's it. Forget about it. If you get the call, it's a nice surprise. Cause you totally put it out of your mind at that point. 
um, you yeah, know, the months later or the weeks later that, that you get the call or the email. Um, sometimes it's days, but, um, but you know, it's that letting it go, letting the people who are now in charge of the decisions do their job and, and, and acknowledging and accepting that you did your job, you did the best that you could do. And if it, if you didn't get it this time, then okay, that's one more no that's going to get me closer to the next yes. Um, yeah. And and that's something that's an outlook that I've I've had to come to terms with because, you know, when you tell you might tell your family member um, about an audition and they're always like, oh, did you get it? Did you hear anything? It's like, no, I'm not gonna. They're not gonna politely tell you like, oh, we decided not to go. It's not. That's not how it works. They'd be contacting dozens or hundreds of people a day yeah. and being polite yeah. and saying, Oh, we went another direction. It's like, look, if you didn't get a call, assume you didn't get it. Next thing you know, you'll yep. see the trailer on TV. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, just, I mean, you really don't your, for mental, for mental health purposes. That's all you, yeah. you have to maintain that outlook because what you, you're going to live and die with every audition. I mean, God, I can't even imagine. I, and I know actors like that, like for what, for yeah. what it's not, it's not, it's not worth it. You know, because the truth is, you know, the, the other side of it is that you have a lot more control. A lot of people have a lot more control than they think they do. Mm. Right. Um, and I say that because as an actor, you're creative. And I have a lot of friends who get into places where they feel like they've stalled out. And usually the big question I'm, and, and we sit down and we'll talk about it and I'll be like, all right, well, what's the missing piece from the pie? Right. They're like, well, I got an agent. I got a manager. I'm auditioning. Nothing's clicking nothing's happening. I've been, you know, and I'm like, all right, well, what else can you do? Like you got a website, you got, you got your actors access, all your materials are updated. You got dope headshots, everything's there, but for some reason, everything's not clicking. What's, what's one additional thing you could do most of the time. I'll say like 95% of the time when I'm talking to somebody, the thing that they have not yet done is created some piece of content. Yeah. And that, is probably it is a hard step because it takes there's a lot of moving parts but because of everything going digital you don't need a 35 millimeter camera to shoot a movie anymore yeah uh you don't need like massive pieces of sound equipment like you don't you know everything is has become a, a a lot more affordable digital cameras quality digital cameras editing software everything that you need you know to make like a home studio to actually shoot something is pretty readily available and, and available. You know, all it takes is some budgeting. So mm-hmm. like the thing is there's always a way to keep yourself busy and there's always a way to move forward because creating your own content puts you into a whole new class of creative. Yeah. And, and a lot of also, people don't yeah. want to take that step. Unfortunately, they're scared or whatever it is. But yeah. like, if you took the step to go into acting, What's another, what's, why not take the next step? You know what I mean? You've already been brave enough to step into acting period, which is brave, right? So why not take the next step and be braver? You know, in this industry, we pigeonhole ourselves. And mind you, the, the industry does it for us already. Um, you know, certain types of content, certain shows or films, they focus on your type. And it's like, you're only going to play that type for the rest of your career. So like when we try and pigeonhole ourselves that people are like, oh, I don't want to be a writer. I don't want to be, I just want to do acting. If I take any focus away from acting, then am I really an actor? I don't want to, but it's like, you look at some of the biggest names in Hollywood and you look on like their IMDb page and you see how many films they've produced, how many films they've directed or written in, or been involved in some other facet. You have to be a multi-hyphenate. 
you yeah. can't just be an actor. And I know so many wonderful actors who have also written some amazing shorts or pilots or web series and, and gone on to produce them and win festival awards. And they've gained recognition that way because, uh, you know, casting teams look at that and, and um, you know, it's, yeah, to, to anyone listening, if, if you're someone that you may not even have a reel, because like you said, it's that catch 22. It's like, well, to get uh, an acting job, they require a reel, but I can't get a reel because I can't book acting jobs. So it's this horrible cycle and it's like, if you can't, if you don't have a reel yet, just our iPhones have 4K cameras on them now. I realize that there, you know, you can't do much control with, uh, with the sound or with focus or anything like that. But the quality that, you know, we have these great cameras in our pockets. And um, like you said, a lot of these digital cameras are very affordable now. And, and you know, you don't have to spend a, a crazy amount of money on building your own little filmmaking kit. Uh, just write a short that that shows your skill um, as as an actor, and if you have other special skills that you can highlight in it in, in a natural or like realistic way, um, then just do that. Get together with your other actor friends who have similar needs for things like a reel, and then you've got your own little short that one looks great on your reel. It's a credit you didn't have before, and if you're able to you can submit it to like festivals and and get your names out there uh in a way that you otherwise won't be able to do just by sitting and waiting for the phone to ring or for an email to come in um you know when you created a standing eight it's you know the short film you uh you know starred produced and and really led the charge with that one um you wrote it with this sort of specific goal in mind to bring awareness to lupus um but how did all that start for you, um, the whole process of, of wanting to get that project made? Well, I realized really early on uh, in, my, in my acting career that this is, um, you're going to need to create content. That yeah. just, it just became, I just was a thing that I accepted. It was just something that had to happen. And I was, I was open to it. I actually, you know, I, I wrote my first feature length screenplay while I was still in school at the New York Film Academy. Didn't really know what I was doing, but I still did it. Mm. Uh, you know, probably revised that screenplay like 50 times since then. Uh, but you have to, at some point in time, you just have to say that it, this has to happen and you have to do it because there's nothing more empowering than taking complete control of your career. And when you create your own content, that's 100% what you're doing, because that is something that can speak for you, your talent, your ability to produce, which is uh, not just you know, producers don't, aren't guys that just sit around on set and, you know, play on their iPads. Uh, producers, active producers make the film happen. Without an active producer, you, there's a lot of movies you never would see. Like, so playing the producerial role is a big deal. Um, so for me, it just was like, I knew I always was going to create content. I produced uh, my own, I produced, wrote, directed my own short film back when I first got out of school called Salvation Road, entered it into a few film festivals, didn't even know which film festivals to enter. It was just like by a fluke, I'd be like, oh, well, maybe I'll enter this one. You know, yeah. you don't, it's like you, this is a lot of stuff is learn as you go or find someone who's done it before. So you can at least piggyback off of someone, but still there's a lot of trial and error because even if you go based on somebody else's model, that model still doesn't necessarily apply to you. So there's still a lot of, you know, like learning as you go, type of things that you have to handle like there's not a universal glove for every 
everything that you need to know how to make your own movie. Hmm. Uh, so I did shoot my own short and then I went on and produced a, a feature film called Terminal Legacy uh, that we ended up not really doing much with because again, lack of knowledge of the, the industry and whatever, and you learn as you go. Uh, so Standing 8 uh, just happened to be uh, kind of a, an exercise. We just, I had a, you know, a director and a producer that I had met and we all just kind of wanted to work together. And we had a feature film in mind, but we were like, let's just do a short as a warm up to show the masses what we can do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if we're just going to do a short, I was like, I don't want to just do a short for fun. I want to do a short that actually you know, mean something that something yeah. that actually carries some weight. Let's, let's use this as like a, a tool to raise awareness, you know, for lupus and uh, because my mom has lupus and that that's really where that stemmed from. And the idea kind of was born out of the, like it was born out of the concept of, uh, of my mom having lupus and wanting to draw awareness to that. And I had been a golden gloves boxer for years before I got into acting, you know, while I had my diner and whatnot. And yet I had yet to be, I'd yet gotten cast as an actor. Hmm. Um, so, which I found frustrating at that time. I was like, cause I actually have the boxing skill set, but I'm not getting seen for boxing roles, et cetera, et cetera. So we just combined those two ideas into a short film where a boxer actually gets diagnosed with lupus, which was interesting because in hindsight, we were actually, telling a story about a minority group, which are people that suffer from lupus, but the minority of the minority are men who suffer from lupus Mm -hmm. because only about 10% of lupus patients actually are men. Mm -hmm. So we found a niche, like a super niche, you know what I mean? Like a, you know, telling a story that's really never been, been told before. And we moved forward on it, you know, kickstarted it to get the money, uh, took two successful Kickstarter campaigns to get it fully funded. We had one version that we released uh, into film festivals and we did the film festival circuit. The first round was not very successful. We did, we, we submitted to like 12 and got into like two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was because I let one of my other producers who had a, he had, I, he had a good working knowledge of the film festivals, but it, it just was like the film festivals that he had submitted us to didn't necessarily end up being a good fit for the movie. So I went and I sat down and no one is, you know, at the end of the day, you have to have the passion for your, your project. Um, And you're going to put in more time researching and doing stuff than someone else would, because it's your baby, right? You're the one who's in charge of feeding your baby. So I, I took the time, really did a ton of research on film festivals and put together kind of like this theory of early submission and awards and whatnot and it worked i submitted to a lot of film festivals but i did all early submissions like early bird so it was very inexpensive for me to do a festival run and my theory proved right we got into literally 50 percent of the film festivals and then out of the film festivals we actually got into 50 percent of the of the ones that we got into we ended up winning awards at and we had a very, very successful festival run in the second tier festivals. I think a lot of people that make films and just expect that they're going to get into Sundance. Right. Um, you know, I'm sorry, you're probably not going to get into Sundance. Yeah. The chances of you getting to Sundance are very slim unless your uncle is one of the producers uh, <laughs> actively in Hollywood. So just let that Sundance idea go. Keep your yeah. $55 submission fee and get yourself a nice meal or submit to like <laughs> or, or 
or submit to five smaller film festivals. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, again, setting those realistic achievable yeah, goals, yeah, not yeah, shooting yeah. for the stars immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having the long term goal, like one day I want to screen a film at Sundance or whatever yeah. it's going to yeah. be. Like, if that really is your thing and you think that's going to, you know, that's nothing wrong with having that out there, but just having this expectation that that is going to happen with the minimal amount of work and whatnot is just it's, 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 you're, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. And I know a lot of film, I know a lot of film directors, a lot of producers who have literally banked on the fact that they're going to get into some big festival and that's going to be their showcase for the world. And it doesn't happen. And that was their strategy. Like I put all my eggs into this one festival basket and you literally didn't even have a chance of getting into that festival anyway, because studios are using that festival for premiering their multi-million dollar films. Right. So how did you think your hundred thousand dollar feature was <laughs> going to get in right so yeah. there's this this idea of you really have to know the you have to know who you are fighting you have to know your opponent you have to know what what they're really all about and big festivals are about money so just try to find an alternate route find festivals that fit your content etc cetera, etc cetera. so anyway after our film festival run you know i uh well actually we were still like i was on equalizer and the film was getting into festivals as i was on equalizer i missed a couple of premieres that i really wanted to go to uh at some festivals uh unfortunately but for good reason though. when i <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah right you can't you know when you hit up the festival director like hey i really wanted to come but i can't because i'm on set because denzel's gonna kill me with the knife <laughs> uh yeah it's a good reason so anyway when i walked the red carpet for for uh equalizer 2 i just wore a lupus pin i just wanted to raise awareness for lupus i felt like walking a red carpet with getty there and all these you know photogs there that it would make sense for me to uh, to to raise awareness in any way that i could and uh, the lupus foundation of america found me off of i guess some of the hashtags that i posted on instagram with my mm. lupus pin and whatnot and they reached out and they looked me up and they saw that i had done this movie about standing aid and it was a really amazing experience that first phone call because they opened with is there anything that we can do for your mother which wow. uh you know the battle my mom has had a life and death battle with lupus and i can i can openly say that my family for the most part has on both sides have completely just ignored her journey with lupus you know they don't there's never been any help and yeah. basically that's what I'm saying is like, no one has ever said, Hey, is there anything we can do to help your mom or anything? I've never heard those words before. And the fact that they came from like a stranger at an organization that just heard of me and was, a, you know, appreciative of what I had done for the, for the awareness movement. It was, it was a big moment in my life to have them recognize this film. And that was what I set the film out to do was just to raise lupus awareness. And it turned into this whole thing where they wanted to promote the movie and it helped, it, it allowed me to go back and revisit the material. And I did a, an extended cut of the film where I just basically did a completely new edited version with new music and new color grading. And it was just like this really great experience, but the whole point early on was good intentions for the project. Use this project to raise awareness, use the yeah. project, use my creative talents to do something good, not just to self glorify, not just to be like, look at how great I am, but actually try to do something to help people. And, and it could, might, it could just be something simple. I'm not saying everybody has to all of a sudden drop into, you know, my whole life is going to be about giving back. I'm an actor or whatever, but just the idea of keeping that in mind, what are the, what are your actual reasons for what you're doing? 
are they are they for your glory or are they for are they or is is there a more noble like cause behind you because i feel like when when your intentions and your motivation behind something are are just i think the 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 path will get illuminated for you mm. you know i think that things will fall into place like and and it's crazy the turn of events that you'll go through and whatnot but it's almost like you know you're being guided and i think that's really what i felt like with standing eight like we everything happens for a reason the timing et cetera, et cetera right like if i had if i hadn't had a un, an unsuccessful first run of film fe, uh, of film festivals if i had been successful that first time around then we probably would have ended up just releasing the movie earlier and it would have been that festival version not the final version that it is and you know it, it's just like how everything ended up leading to the point where the lupus foundation was able to use that film as a way to raise awareness and hold premieres and screen to their to their um, support groups and, and actually be able, that's what I wanted the film to be used for. And that's what ended up happening. Yeah. So it's been a great experience. And I thank God that, you know, I was inspired to, to put that project together. Cause I'll, I'll tell you, I've gotten some messages from people uh, that literally uh, the one that sticks out in my mind more than any is I heard from a, a woman who said she was married for 10 years and that after she watched the film with her husband and she had been, she literally turned, he turned to her and said, I never knew that's what you were going through. Jesus. That's so amazing, that, man. yeah. And, and to have that, your project was the, was the, the catalyst for that conversation. I, I can't, I mean, those, I've literally gotten Instagram messages that like literally made me cry because yeah. I've been like, wow, I could have never expected that my project would help someone start this conversation or help yeah. mend this relationship or whatever it is. So it's been, very very rewarding from the sense of um being able to give back to a community that i that i do deeply care for and have a connection to yeah i remember um i think it was just over a year ago i'm not exactly sure when it was i can't remember but um, i remember shooting you a message when uh, my best friend was diagnosed with lupus and um you know, asking where she could watch a movie because I'm like, Jess, a friend of mine literally made a movie about this whole fight about, you know, uh, about lupus and, and whatnot. And um, yeah, man, you you really made something really great. Uh, where can people watch Standing 8 right now? Uh, Standing 8 is available on Amazon. Uh, that's that's probably where I'm, I think most people have been catching it. But mm-hmm. um, we're also we're also on like Google Play and iTunes and gotcha. Vimeo, um, Vimeo, we're, we're, we're available worldwide. Uh, Amazon, just in the U.S. and the U.K. Gotcha. Um, you know, it's it's we're pretty much everywhere. But um, yeah, I'm just really, really grateful for that. How's your friend doing? She's good. Um, she actually gave birth to twins during COVID. Uh, what? Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, she's a beast, man. Um, twins. Yeah twin boys wow. uh, first try <laughs> wow good for her you know yeah, like when you have lupus uh pregnancy can be considered high risk you know yeah, so that's pretty that's, that's awesome yeah she's a beast she um also literally literally also uh, a fighter she um did boxing for a very long time and was kind of bummed that because it was twins doctor's orders was you know no no working out it's a little too dangerous with with two with two kids in there yeah um, yeah because they could bump heads yeah <laughs> yeah uh 
Um, dude, I, I could talk to you forever, but uh, unfortunately we're close to the end of our time and um, I need to have you back. There's so much we, we couldn't get to. Um, yeah, anytime. But, uh, absolutely, man. Uh, but I'd like to do. finish off with a uh, rapid fire round of questions. Um, so uh, yeah, we're going to put, if I can get my timer here, we're going to put 90 seconds on the clock and we'll see as many questions as you can answer in that time. Oh, that's going to be tough. I run my mouth. Hard hitting question at the very top. So we'll start in three, two, one, coffee or tea? Tea. Theater or screen acting? Screen. TV or film? Film. Drama or comedy? (laughs) Together as one. A dramedy. Love it. Uh, Hero or villain? Mm, Villain. You've done a good uh, amount of sh- uh, roles and villains. Uh, favorite TV show of all time? Batman, the animated series. Good choice. Uh, what's the worst job you've had? Uh, working at a, uh, at a harbor, um, a marina for boats when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had to cry at an audition? Uh, no, but I've had to scream for my life, which is along the same emotional line. Yeah. Uh, what existing TV show do you want to join the cast of? Uh, what existing movie franchise do you want to join the cast of? Oh, franchise. James Bond. Good choice. Uh, what's the role that got away? None. I got the ones I was meant to get. Love it. Uh, okay, we've got time for... So, time's up, but we'll just throw in two questions. Uh, if you had the chance to direct any actor in a film, money is no object, who would it be? Uh, uh, this sounds crazy, but myself. Love it. And uh, last Clint question. Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. You Clint know, Eastwood. Clint Eastwood did it, right? That's what right. I mean. Yeah, how yeah. many movies he directed himself on, right? And how good right. did they turn out? Absolutely. Uh, last one. In 10 words or less, what advice would you give to a young actor? Go to school. Be patient. And that is it for today's episode of Actors with Issues with special guest Kazi Taginas, who you can follow on Instagram at Kazi Taginas and follow us at Actors with Issues. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review at ratethispodcast.com slash actors and catch new episodes every Friday. This is Juan Ayala signing off. <laughs>